Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. My name is Michael Hidalgo, and today is our fourth episode, which is titled, When I Was the Older Brother Who Was With the Older Brother. And today we're going to talk about judgment, and we're going to talk about people who are judgmental. And one thing that I have learned along the way is that most of us, we can't tolerate people who are judgmental. And in all my years, I'm not sure I've met someone who doesn't possess a really strong opinion about people who are judgmental. And the opinion is almost always negative. And so you might already be thinking as we prepare to talk about this, yes, I will finally have something to say to so-and-so who is always judgmental, or maybe oh, now I can go back and tell all those people at my old church or my old school or that my family, I can tell those people who judged me a thing or two. Um, But before you get too excited, please know that on today's episode, I'm going to reflect on a moment not too long ago when I found myself being judgmental while being scolded by a judgmental person. And so I'd love to tell you otherwise, because it's, re- it's really crappy to admit that I was in fact being judgmental, but it's true. And I, what I want to do today is simply reflect and share with you what I'm learning in real time when it comes to being judgmental. And, and so there, it, this all took place on uh, one of our Sunday morning gatherings, and it was not very long ago, just a few months ago. Uh, and it was when a friend of mine was speaking here at Denver Community Church. Now, every summer, we take about five or six weeks, and we invite our friends from all over the country to come to our church and speak. And this past summer, I invited my friend Paula to speak at DCC. She agreed, and we scheduled the date, and the morning came for her to speak, and she showed up, and we did the sound check, and everything was normal, just like it is is when other people come to speak. And I introduced her and she got up on the platform and she began her sermon. And that's when I noticed him. It was a man who was sitting on the other side of the platform from me. And the way our room set up where Paula is speaking is it's like a 180 degree wrap. So there's people on uh, like three sides of the platform. And I was sitting directly to her right, to Paula's right, and he was sitting directly to her left, which means we were looking directly at each other, separated only by the platform, and we're probably sitting, I don't know, maybe like 50 feet apart. And I noticed that as Paula spoke, he kept talking to people who were around him, and he seemed to grow more and more agitated as she spoke. And what she was speaking about was the prodigal son parable. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, it's a story that Jesus tells, and it's in the book of Luke, and it's a story about a father who has two sons, and the younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance, which in that context was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, because the only way you could get the inheritance was if your father died, and so you would expect that the father would throw him out immediately, but instead, it says that the father divided the inheritance between them, meaning both the older and younger brother received their share of the inheritance. One is explicitly saying, dad, I wish you were dead. The other one is just kind of subtly saying it by receiving 
the inheritance. The younger son goes off and squanders his wealth on wild living. And can we just admit that we need to begin using the word squander more because it is a rich and beautiful word. But he does. He goes off, parties until he drops. He eventually drops and he drops pretty hard. He has a job feeding pigs and he thinks to himself, it says that he comes to his senses and he says, man, my father's hired workers live better than I'm living now. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize to dad and I'm going to get a job. I mean, I'm going to become an employee of his. And so he practices this apology and he turns toward home and it, Jesus tells us when he's still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him. The son begins this lame apology that he had cooked up, and the father doesn't even listen. He hugs him. He kisses his neck. He says, bring the robe and, and the ring and the sandals, which is another way of saying, I'm not hiring you back. You're still my son. And then he says, kill the fatted calf, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they start to party. And Paula is teaching on this passage, this story from the Gospel of Luke, and she retold it in such a powerful way that most of the people in the room, I noticed, were choking back tears. Except for this guy across the platform from me, he couldn't seem to stay still. And as Paula's teaching, she eventually says, you know, this story is really not about either son. It's really about the love of the father. And it was right at this moment that this guy stood up really abruptly and he started leaving, kind of walking through the aisle bump or the row, kind of bumping into people and then stormed out the side aisle to the back of the room. And as he's making his way out from like the second or third row, walking all the way to the back of the room, he's staring at me. At least I thought he was staring at me. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you're like, are they, are they looking at me? And so I'm kind of trying to look at Paula. I keep glancing at him. He's staring me down and he walks out the back door, but it turns out he wasn't leaving. He actually went out one door on one side of our auditorium and then came in another door on the other side of the auditorium where I was sitting, but he came in behind me. So I didn't ever see him come back in. But what I did hear is these heavy footsteps behind me as he's walking toward me with a full head of steam. And before I could even turn around to figure out what was going on, he was right there, slams his body down in the chair next to me. And now he's in my face. I'm talking like three to five inches away, far too close for anybody to be in anyone's face. And he's breathing heavily and he's staring like right through me. And I can feel his breath dusting across my face. And the first thing he said was, I'm a seminary graduate with a master's in divinity. So let's just stop right there. Um, because in my experience, whenever anyone begins a conversation with, I'm a seminary graduate, it's bound to get interesting. And so he then says to me, I have studied this parable and the gospel of Luke and she, and he points at Paula, but doesn't even look at her. Like he says, she is not preaching the gospel. This story is not about the younger son. This story is not about the older son. It is about the love of the father. And he stared at me after he said that. And he's like breathing, like heaving his whole chest and shoulders. 
And he's clearly waiting for a response from me. And all I could think was, wait a second, Paula just said what you told me is what this parable's about. Like, you're just repeating her. And something in my head kind of clicked. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure that this guy's anger has anything to do with Paula's sermon. And it turns out I was right. You see, he went on to say through these clenched teeth and his face twitching with anger, his body was literally shaking as he talked to me. He said, I followed the steps your church has taken toward full inclusivity. And he says, you did nothing more than cave to culture. He told me over and over, I wasn't brave. He said, you're a coward. You're not courageous. And that me and the leadership were only doing what people wanted. And then he just like lambasted me for not preaching the gospel. And it went on and on. And the more he spoke, the heavier he breathed. And then he would pause, like wait for me to respond and just was like staring at me with these piercing eyes, gritting his teeth. And as I'm sitting there listening to him, I'm thinking, none of this has anything to do with what Paula is saying. It has everything to do with the fact that Paula is a transgender woman. And at Denver Community Church, we are fully inclusive of our LGBTQ friends. So before we go any further, let me insert a major detail into this story. See, at the beginning of 2015, uh, our elder team and our church is led by the elder team. We entered into a conversation regarding how we as a church would move forward with and for our LGBTQ friends. And so the history of our church is that we've long been welcoming of the LGBTQ community Um, But why we've been welcoming, there was always a limit to the roles a a person who identifies with that community, that there was a limit to what they could do here. So they could attend, they could, you know, um, volunteer here and there, we would definitely accept their tithes and offerings, but they couldn't preach, they couldn't be an elder, there were certain things they couldn't do. And our elder team entered the conversation asking the question, is this right. And so we began by sharing our divergent viewpoints. We had so much, and hours and hours of discussion. We listened, we studied, we sought the Spirit's leading, and our longing was to be a place where everyone can belong, where they can be known, where we can have the joy of being known by, by others. And we realized that for us to be a place where people can bring their whole selves no matter what, something was going to have to change. And during our time of discussion, we heard from many from the LGBTQ community, including a transgender woman who I now count as my dear friend named Paula, who was preaching that Sunday. And her speaking at DCC that Sunday actually meant a great deal to both of us because when she met with our elder team, She asked very candidly, would I currently be able to come and preach on a Sunday at your church? And the answer that we gave her at that time was, no, you wouldn't be able to do that. And I knew that when Paula heard that response, and while she had heard that response many times, there was always a sting of rejection that came with it. And so when I invited her to come and speak after we came out for full inclusion as a church, It meant a lot for me personally, it meant a lot for our leadership, and it meant a lot for her. 
And so the Sunday came, and when she spoke, this guy shows up because she is a transgender woman, and she is speaking at an inclusive church. And so there we were. Remember, I'm sitting in the front row while Paul is on the platform preaching. He's there heavy breathing in my face, which, let me just add this, that part was really tough for me because I'm a germaphobe. And so while he's intent on communicating a message, there was like at least a good third of my mind wondering what, what I was going to get sick with, like what disease I was contracting as he's breathing in my face. And he's gritting his teeth, his body's shaking. He was so unbelievably angry. And because of where I was sitting, I realized, given the way the seats are in our auditorium, there was a lot of people looking at the both of us. And so at that point, I start nodding. So he's asking me questions. I'm not going to engage him in an argument. So I start nodding. I'm trying to keep things calm. Paul is preaching. People are looking at us. I started deep breathing exercises to try to calm myself down. And at this point, I may have appeared to be calm, but inside I was exploding in all kinds of directions. And so I'm sitting there, he's talking to me, I'm doing my best to listen to Paula, to shut this guy out. And that's when I noticed that Paula, when this guy is sitting next to me, she begins offering some insight about the older son. And so I'm sitting there with a guy who's in my face, and Paul is talking about the older son, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, this, the irony of this situation. And, and I'm sitting there looking at this guy thinking, if you could just hear what is being said right now about people like you, you are the older brother refusing to join in on the party thrown by the father out of his outrageous love and grace. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, man, you are so wrong. You are so narrow-minded. You, you're embarrassing. You're lame. I had all of these comments that I wanted to make that would have put him in his place. And by the way, some of the comments that I wanted to make were honestly hilarious. <laughs> and, and I thought, how could a guy like this know anything about the gospel and the good news that he claims to speak of? And that is when it hit me, that in that moment, I was the older brother sitting in the front row next to the older brother. You see, I was judging him, and I'm sitting there wondering to myself how the father could ever welcome a joker like this in for dinner and drinks and thought a fair or reasonable or just father would never in a million years throw a party for a guy like this. There is no way he'd be welcomed home. And I had this feeling wash over me because in that moment, listening to Paula, trying to remain calm in the front row, this guy's breathing in my face, I pictured myself standing outside the party, cursing the father for welcoming a guy like this home. You see, I was with the older brother and we were both standing outside the party. This guy eventually got up and walked away, stormed away, on the way out, he happened to, he shoved one of our pastors 
whose name is Scott. And Scott's one of the nicest human beings, maybe the nicest human being ever. Uh, and so he walked out and I'm sitting there with this image of me standing outside the party. There I was totally judging someone who was judging me. And what I mean when I say this, by the way, is I was not sitting there thinking out of this good heart, wow, brother, I wish you could come into the party. Like, I really wish that you would understand the love of which Jesus speaks of in this parable and how vast and spacious it is, and it's more than we can wrap our mind around. And yet here you are breathing in my face and gritted teeth, and you're pushing it away. And I, I'm going to pray that you would open yourself to being embraced. You see, that may be one kind of judgment, maybe more of a hope, maybe we could say an observation, and that kind of attitude that's rooted in the right place. But the judgment that I'm talking about is the kind that comes from someone who believes that they are in a better or more righteous or more holy place. The kind of judgment I'm talking about, it comes from a place of people who believe they are deserving more or, or that they are someone who gets it, as we say. And from that place, standing in a posture of condemnation. And that's where I was this morning. I was in a place standing in a posture of condemnation. I was there thinking, this is not the guy that I ever want to party with. I don't want to have to small talk with him while waiting in line for the bar, right? And, and this is what the older brother does in the parable. He judges the father for his poor judgment in not only letting the younger son back in, but also judges his younger brother for spending money on prostitutes and everything else. And where does this judgment come from? Well, it comes from a belief that he, the older brother, it comes from a place that he believed he had done it the way it was supposed to be done. His judgment was from his small, tiny, little viewpoint, not the expansive, inclusive, all-embracing viewpoint of the father. And this is what happens when we are judgmental. We choose to see things from a very small viewpoint, from our viewpoint, one that says we are right and they, whoever they is, are wrong. And this brings me to some observations that may be helpful for all of us. The first is about our attention. How, how much time do we give to the older brother? Isn't it interesting that this parable that Jesus tells is called the prodigal son? So it's named after the younger son. And in all the times that I've heard this sermon, most every time the younger son is the focus of whatever the pastor is saying, and the older brother, well, he's the bad example, and the older brother is barely mentioned at all. But that's not the way it works in real life, is it? See, in real life, we often give most of our attention to people like the older brother, and after this guy came up to me, I had so many people ask, what did that guy say to you? He didn't seem to be too happy because we're not giving our attention to the extravagant love of the father. We're paying attention to the older brother. And by the time our gathering was over and people would come and ask me about what this guy said to me, I said to them, I'll talk to you for about 30 seconds about what he said, but I'm going to ask you to give me about five to 10 minutes to talk about all the people I spoke with this morning who were blown away by Paula's story and Paula's sermon. So think about this. Paula's sermon was profound and was beautiful. There was actually one family 
who was there who had not been inside a church building in years because their son is gay. And they heard about an inclusive church, and they heard about a transgender woman who was getting ready to preach there. And it was those same reasons that brought them to the church that morning. And so the mom comes up to me after our time of gathering, and she's she's like ugly crying. I mean, just weeping, snotting, I mean, completely and totally undone, saying, I never believed we could ever be in a church again where we knew it was safe to be us. And she hugged me and wept and wept. And it was this beautiful, sacred moment of somebody feeling and experiencing some sort of embrace that's bigger than any one of us can give individually. Someone who had the experience of a love that runs down the road to meet us and says, you were dead, now you're alive again. It was just this sacred, beautiful moment. There was another woman who, after Paula spoke, Paula sat down next to me, and there was a chair between us, and this woman walks down and sits down between us and leans over on Paula, puts her head on Paula's shoulder, and starts crying. So I think, oh, that's so great that Paula has people she knows here, and she sat there for a few minutes, and then she got up and walked away. And after our gathering... She comes back down and she's talking to Paula and Paula turns and says, well, you need to meet Michael. And so she calls me over. So I walk over and it's the woman who was sitting between us. So I said, oh, nice to meet you. And how long have you known Paula? She said, well, I don't know Paula. <laughs> like, well, you were just sitting next to her, hugging her. I thought, you know, maybe you were. So then she said to me, I actually haven't been in church in 17 years. And I thought, oh, this is going to, this is going to be amazing. She said, 17 years ago, I really firmly believed that God was nowhere in or around the church. So I left, but I didn't stop believing in God. I actually believed that God had to be somewhere. So I went out looking for God and got to be honest with you, there were other places besides the church where I found God. Of course she did. And she said, but then when I moved back to Denver, some really good friends of mine were telling me about this church. And, and they asked me if I wanted to come. So I decided to come this morning. And she just starts breaking down crying. And she said, and I actually found God in the church again. Oh, it was, it was so unbelievable. It was one of those moments where you realize you're a part of something far bigger than you or a local church or, or an organization. There was something that was happening that you couldn't even explain. And there were people... Who, who wept. There were people, all sorts of people coming up and hugging Paula and thanking her. And, and these are just a few of the stories, by the way, just from that morning. This is the party, by the way, isn't it? This is the father running down the road. This is the fatted calf and the music and the, the dancing and the, the drinks and the fun. And yet, where do we often find ourselves when we're confronted by someone who's like the older brother? Sure, we might be inside the party, but you know what we're doing? We're kind of like peeking outside the window the whole time to tell everyone about how the older brother's behaving. Like there's a party going on and we're consumed with the attitude and the heart of the older brother. This, this happens all the time. At our first gathering when we met and shared with our faith community that we were moving toward full inclusion, there was a woman who came up after and was really, really angry. 
And I don't remember everything she said, but at one point she put her finger in my face and she said, you make me sick. And there were several people who heard that. And so right after our gathering, our leadership got together. And, and when I walked into the room, people were already talking about this woman and what she had said to me. And we got about 10 minutes into the conversation and I found myself like agreeing with them, like, yeah, just all these, this attitude toward this woman. And then something in me was like, whoa, wait a second. I, I, I said, when we, when we announced full inclusion, we were in a room full of people, several hundred people who broke out into cheers and applause. And what we're doing is we're sitting here now spending like upwards of 10 minutes talking about one woman who said something unkind to me, how much headspace, how much attention, how much time do we give to people who are angry and judgmental and condemning? The answer, at least in my experience, is too much time. And this is important because one thing I am learning is that when we have the courage to ask questions, when we have the courage to give voice to doubt, when we have the courage to walk away from toxic beliefs, when we have the courage to take risks, when we have the courage to throw ourselves into something, when we have the courage to, courage to leave the familiar and trust and rest and live in the wild, inclusive and loving embrace of the Father, we will find life and we will find joy and freedom and wonder. And you can be sure of this. It's in those moments that the older brother so often shows up. And people like the guy who sat with me in that front row that morning and, and spoke to me through gritted teeth, we can give extraordinary amounts of thought and time and energy to people like him. And it's possible we can do this as a way of talking through it and not storing it aside. And that can be healthy, but it can also be for more subtle reasons. Maybe it comes from a place of wanting to prove ourselves. And it comes from a place where we want to stand over and above because when we share with people what those people said to us, we win more friends to our side. And whatever the reason, we need to resist the temptation to give the older brother too much airtime in our heads because there's a party going on and we're invited. The second observation is that being judgmental is a human problem. I mean, think about the last time a celebrity did something stupid. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to think very hard, do you? I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Whether it was a DUI or someone cheated on somebody else, whatever it is. And what's interesting is that the judgment is heaped on those people from the public in a really intense way, isn't it? And what I'm learning is that it often comes, this, this like having to judge and ridicule and just heap scorn on people, what I'm learning is that it really comes from a low view of ourselves. Remember, the older brother gives the father a, a, a fair bit of his resume. He talks about, I've always been with you all of these years. Look at everything I've done. I'm good, dad. I'm the good son. I get it, dad. I'm the one you should love. I'm the one who should be having the parties. And if we're honest, in the moments that we judge, what it does is it allows us, even if only for like a split second, it allows us to have a feeling of being better than somebody else, which is a very unhealthy way of, of establishing a higher view of ourselves. 
Because, I mean, hey, we, we would never do that. We would never do what that person is doing, right? It's a very distorted view. It's kind of like another story that Jesus tells where there's a, par- a parable of the, the Pharisee who's like the super religious, devoted human being and the tax collector. And they both go to pray, and the Pharisee has this hilarious prayer. It would have been hilarious for Jesus' original audience. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. <laughs> I mean, how do you even get to a place where you pray like that? The tax collector, meanwhile— is beating his chest in repentance and saying, uh, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And we read in a lot into the story. And one of the things we often read into that is like, oh, how could the, how could the Pharisee pray a prayer? Like, well, you know, I'm so thankful I'm not like this guy. But hang on a second. Wouldn't you be thankful you're not like a tax collector. A tax collector was one who colluded with the empire of Rome, who was a part and parcel of their oppression and persecution of the, of the Jewish people. Wouldn't you be happy you're not like that? Maybe think of it this way. Would you ever say, God, thank you that I've never murdered somebody, that I'm not a murderer. Thank you, God, that I haven't ever gotten into drug dealing. Thank you, God, that I haven't ever fill in the blank. Thank you that I'm not like people who do that. Thank you that I'm not a part of a, a militant group who oppresses people and the people who do that sort of thing. You see, when we look at it initially, we roll our eyes and think, man, the, ta- the Pharisee's such a, such a moron, right? But remember, these parables are told so that we will have the ability and the capacity to look at ourselves. And, and, and I think what Jesus might be inviting us toward is to recognize we're a lot more like the Pharisee than we want to admit. And this is the problem. You see, the problem is the Pharisee didn't think he was anything like the tax collector. We don't believe we are anything like the person who got a DUI or who cheated on their spouse or got addicted to some sort of drug or swindled somebody else out of a business deal. We don't think we're anything like them. And we fail to see that we are, we're just a different kind of broken. And this is the older brother. He believes he is nothing like the younger brother. He stayed home. He did the right thing. He did what his dad wanted. There's a very subtle part of the story that Jesus tells that shows the older brother doesn't believe he's anything like his younger brother when he says to the father, in reference to his own brother, he says, when this son of yours comes home, no longer does he view his own brother as family. He is now just a son of the father. There's a distance that is created. I am not like you. You are not like me. And this is what happens when somebody says, you are wrong. I just received a letter not long ago from somebody who said, you are wrong. You are dead wrong. I'm not interested in arguing. You need to go and read the Bible and repent. So what else are they saying in that? What they are saying is, I'm right. I am dead right. And I don't have to repent. In other words, I'm not like you. And how often do we do this? Is it possible that we judge 
because we really actually believe somewhere within us that we are not like those people. Thank God I'm not like a tax collector. It sounds so ridiculous. Well, it sounds ridiculous because it is. And it sounds ridiculous because we want to be able to dismiss ourselves from it. But when we participate in judging, what we're actually saying is you are not like me. So when I'm sitting in the front row that Sunday morning, I'm deep breathing. This angry guy's next to me with gritted teeth. Paul is on the platform preaching and he's in my face. Everything in my bones was saying, you and I, we are nothing alike which was a lie that I was telling myself because in fact, we are so much alike. We're just a different kind of broken. And I was able to say that because I didn't see myself in him. But if we are able to see ourselves in the other, if we are able to be like them, there's a very good chance that we won't judge them. As a matter of fact, we might understand their perspective not condone it, not agree with it, but we at least might understand it. We actually might have the capacity to love because after all, isn't that what we want? We want to be loved. We, we might reach out. We might extend a welcome. We, we actually might find ourselves wanting them inside the party. And at the very least, we can have some compassion toward them because all of us know that we've behaved in ways that are less than ideal, that we've done things that are embarrassing, that we've done things that need correcting. But only if we believe that we are like them. See, judgmental, being judgmental is a human problem. All of us do it because all of us struggle with actually looking at what is true of ourselves and seeing ourselves in the other. And then one last observation, and that's how we can be the older brother. It's interesting to me how many people judge people for being judgmental. Have you noticed this? And, and, and so if we're judging somebody for being judgmental, aren't we doing the exact same thing? And before you say, nope, no, it's not the same thing at all. Let's think about this. Are we right to see someone behaving like this guy who was sitting next to me in the front row that Sunday morning? Are we right to see someone behaving like him and think, this is not helpful behavior? Well, yes, of course. We're absolutely right to be thinking that this is not helpful behavior. It's unhealthy and unhelpful. But how many of us stop there? Is it possible that we see this kind of behavior and we go further in our hearts and in our thoughts? I mean, suppose this guy one day, just like the younger son in the parable, you know, comes to his senses like the younger son does. I mean, what if one day he, he wakes up and he thinks, you know, this is, not, this is not the best life out there. And what if he turns toward home? Or what if he comes to his senses and just like the younger son he doesn't necessarily want to be a part of the family anymore. He just wants something better for himself, right? And then he encounters the father. What do you think the response of the father would be when he saw this guy sitting in the front row next to me a long way off? Well, I imagine he would run. He would throw his arms around him. He'd kiss him on the neck. And he'd say, bring the ring and bring the robe and bring the sandals kill the fattened calf, 
for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. Now, some of, you, some of us might be like, okay, wait, wait, this guy's never going to do that. Okay, fine. Let's say he doesn't. Let's say maybe he never comes to that place. And, and if he doesn't come to that place, he's standing outside the party. He's standing outside the party, gritting his teeth, shaking with anger. He's heavy breathing. And who's out there with him? The father, the father is out there inviting him to join the celebration. The response to both sons is love. And we are invited to respond as the father responds, not as the older son responds. And we can come up with all sorts of excuses as to why, you know, we shouldn't respond like the father and how naive that is. I mean, I imagine there were people who were actually at the party looking at the father going, hey, you're an imbecile. Do you not think that your younger son is going to wake up in a few weeks and go back out and spend more of your money and waste more of it on wild living? And I suspect if they said that, the father might say something like, oh, he might do that. But that only means that when he comes home, we get to have another party. Because see, what happens with love and what happens with grace is you actually can't abuse it because it puts itself out there and asks for nothing in return. This is what the younger son experienced. It's what the older son couldn't see. But what both of them were invited to experience was to come into the party. And see, what so often happens is that we excuse ourselves from being the older brother, but we start judging the older brother and we become so much like them. And I found that it's really hard to love when we're judging because judgment kills love. And in the end, judgment keeps us outside the party. Whether that's judging ourselves, whether that's judging the others, and by the way, one of the things that I've learned is that this judgment that often comes up and, and this hatred that we have of judgment, as I said at the very beginning, like we hate judgmental people. We hate judgmentalism. We don't favor it. We have negative opinions about it. And what I'm learning is this, is that what we hate most about others is very often the thing that we hate most about ourselves. Is it possible that one of the reasons we hate and we can't tolerate judgmentalism and people who are judging, is it possible the reason we hate that so much is because we know, if we're really honest, we know that that's true about ourselves, that we do that same thing too? which might be precisely why as I sat in the front row that morning listening to Paula preach, as I looked at this guy across the platform who got up and walked out and came and slammed his body down in the chair next to mine, and as he gritted his teeth and looked at me and shook with anger and said all sorts of words, I found him nearly intolerable. And it's probably because as I looked at him in all of his self-righteous criticism of Paula, of me, of our church, of our church's leadership, what I saw was someone doing outwardly what I was doing inwardly. And those are some things that I learned 
when I found that I was the older brother who was with the older brother. So thanks again for joining me today on the Changing Faith Podcast. Our next episode, we will be back again with another interview, and I can't wait for you to hear that. So until then, much love and peace be with you.